This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Chidot says the following on Pashas. Yes, we're learning Leda Kala. Shani Sarah Bas Esther. She should have an easy birth. Amen. Okay. So we're starting off this week's Pasha. Vayiyu Chaye Sarah. And Sarah lived Mea Shana. A hundred years. Ve'esrim Shana. Twenty years. Ve'sheva Shanim. Seven years. Shnei Chaye Sarah. This was the life of Sarah. Everybody knows. Rashi says. Why doesn't it just say Mea Ve'esrim Sheva Shanim? 127 years. hundred years. Twenty years. Seven years. So we know that when she was a hundred, she was like twenty. When she was twenty, she was like seven. A kata, a katana, a girl that's under 12 years old, has no averus. A girl, that, a person that's under 20 years old, doesn't get ju- judged in Bezim Shalmaila. So, when she was 100, she was like, she wasn't judged in Bezim Shalmaila, like a 7 year old. She was, she did it, it's brought down somewhere that she was one of the people that were born in this world that never sinned. And that if it wasn't for eating from the Eitz Adas, it wasn't for the snake, she would have never died. Okay. Now let's learn a little chidah. And we're going to connect the chidah with Rav Chaim Vital. It's an amazing, there's a few amazing chidahs this week. Pashat Chayisar, whoever wants to learn it, can buy the set Tarez Chidah um, on all the five books in the Chumash. It's the following. Okay, let's start off with Vayiyu Chayisara Meya, right? Vayiyu Chayisara Meya Shana, Vayasim Shana Vashava Shana. If you take the words Vayiyu Chayisara Meya, and you take the last letters of those words, Vayihiyu is a vav, Chaye is a yud, Sor is a hey, and Meya is a hey, which is Hashem's name. Yud ke vav ke. So the years of, of Sarah's life, right, was, is the Shem Havaya, and those years, as long as she lived, she was always close to Akash Baruch Hu, Yud ke vav ke. Because you see the last letters of her name. Now, if you take the first letters of Vayihiyu Chaye Sarah Meya, is a mem, shin, ches, vav which spells the word Moshuach, right? So he says, the B'schus Sarah, in the B'schus of Sari Menu, Yavai HaMashiach, Mashiach will come. And, okay, now, in the Sefer Gugulim, this is one of the main things we have to remember tonight, because I have a lot to do with my share. In the Sefer Gugulim, is brought down that Sari Menu was a Gilgal of Chava. Okay, Sari Main was a Gilgal of Chava. Adam Harishon was a Gilgal of Adam. The Shleisha Avais, all three of the Avais, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, were all the Tzutzim of Gilgulim of Adam. In other words, they had a DNA spark from Adam. And all the Imais had a Gilgal from Chava. And each one of them was to be Mesakein, something that happened, for instance, by Adam, so we know in the time of that world there was Shrikas Damim and there was Rabbi Dezara and there was, um, there was Gilead Arayas and Abraham Avinu was misakin Rabbi Dezara. He jumped into the fire for the Rabbi Dezara. Yitzhak was misakin Shrikas Damim. He was ready to bring himself as a, as a carbon. Yaakov was misakin, um, was misakin the, the third Avera. Um, so, so we're not gonna, we're gonna concentrate right now on Sari Menu and on Abraham Avinu. So Abraham Avinu was Adam and Sari Menu was was Chava. Now, let's go right to listen carefully. Now, he goes on, it's all going to connect. He goes on, he says something very, very interesting from Rav Shimon Bayichoy. He says that, and this I heard today happens to be 
Um, there was there's someone here from Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Lazer Brody, who wrote the Garden of Amuna. He's been speaking all over the place. He actually came to I'm going to say over some stuff that he said today. He came to my high school and to my seminary. Some very fascinating thoughts, which I'll share with you at the end of the year. Anyway, so he said that the woman, the woman, is the reflection of the man. That the, the, in a marriage, the man is considered the shemesh. And the, and the woman is considered the urea, the, the, the moon. He said, very interesting that a watermelon and a cantaloupe, melons can't be grown in greenhouses because melons get their growth from the moon, not from the sun. Interesting thing. So if you would take a melon and try to grow it in the lights of a greenhouse that's supposed to be like the sun, they won't grow. They only grow in the light of the moon. So certain things grow in the light of the reflection of the sun. Interesting. Okay, now, this is what he said. I want to read it to you from inside. He says like this. Avraham v'sara, kishahayu shavim b'madrega. When Avraham and Sarah were equals, layachulu l'hoilid. She was not able to give birth. Ach kashah Sarah nechsara, yolda yitzchak. What happened to Avram's name? What happened to Avram's name before he had Yitzchak? So Hashem took it by the Brisbane Absarim from the name Avram, and he made it Avraham. He added to his name. At the same time that Hashem added to Avraham's name, which brought him higher by five, right? His name now equaled five more. He took Sarai's name, and he made her smaller. He took the Yud and he made it Sarah. He made it a hay. So, she, her name got smaller, his name got bigger. So the, the Chidah says, and this is so true, that when a husband and a wife are equals, you can't, you can't have Shalom. Somebody has to be subservient to the other. So therefore, and that's part of what Hashem said, Hashem said, for the woman, she has to be subservient to her husband. That was part of the curse. But in, in turn, she's the one who's going to give birth. Because in order to give birth, if the woman is on the same level as the husband, then she become, they, they can't have children. So, he says, how did she fill her... It's just interesting. How did she fill what she lost? Because after she lost the hay, right, half... She ended up giving birth to Yitzchak, so she got back the Yud. She gave birth to Yitzchak, she got back her Yud. But in order to get the Yitzchak to get back the Yud, she had to drop, to come down a little bit. Ki efshar, lahamchul ha-neshama, l'shemesh v'haguf li'areach. The Chidah says that for a person to grow spiritually, this is very, very true, for a person to grow spiritually, the the body and the soul can't be on the same level. The, the 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 soul has to be on a higher level than the body. Otherwise, you can't have spiritual children. If you're taking care of your body, and you're feeding it, and you're taking all the enjoyments of the world, and that's what you're giving it, that it should be on the same level as your soul, then the whole system is going to break down. That's why drugs don't work. Because the, the, the high of a drug, when you want to try to get high, which we'll, we'll talk about, because he said something amazing today, Rabbi Brody. When, when you, when you try to bring your, 
physical body up, because you're doing drugs, right? Whatever, whatever drugs you're taking, to get your body at speed, to get it high, to get to, to feel crazy, to get buzzed, to drink, to all that. What, what you, you cannot, from that, cannot come out something positive, emotionally or spiritually. You can't. The goof, the body, has to be subservient to the soul. Not vice versa. So he says, If the goof wants to be equal to the soul, the and not to be subservient to the soul, you won't be able to have spiritual children which are Torah mitzvah, because we know, right? It says, uh, what, are the chil- what are the children of tzaddikim? Right? Ela told us Noach, Noach Noach is tzaddik. Being what are the what are the real children of a, of a person is not his physical children because that doesn't last forever, but his good deeds. So for a person's good deeds to make it, his soul has to be the master of his body, not the body being the master of his soul. And even non-Jewish stuff in 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 the in the Far East, right? The, the fasting of the monks of the Himalayas and all this stuff is that they, they understand that spirituality, the less you are physical, the more you are spiritual. Okay. And he says, a person who does it the other way around, and he's after the taiva of his guf, his lust of his body, he will never, he will be lost from this world, and from the next world. Okay. Let's go on. The word Vayihiyu, the Torah begins, Vayihiyu Chayesara equals 37. What were the, what were the, what were the years that, that she really lived? The years that she really lived, we know when did she give birth to Yitzhak, how old was she? She was 90. Here it says she died when she was 27. Which means that she had Yitzhak for 37 years. If you take the word Vayihiyu, it equals should equal um, 37. Let's see. Vav and, and Yud is 16, and He is 21, and Yud is 31, and Vav is 37. The real life of Sarah was when she had a child, when she had Yitzchak. Okay. Let's go on. <coughs> so the, the Torah goes on. This, this I've said before, and this is very important. And this has a lot to do with tonight's share and has a lot to do with Rav Chaim Vital. He says like this. Avraham lispoid lisara. So Avraham came to say a hespid, a eulogy on Sarah. Sarah imenu kishahilida yitzchak avinu. Listen carefully, because here you have to stay with me, because this is a lot of the shit tonight. Listen carefully. Sarah imenu when she gave birth to Yitzchak, all the shalom ba'a lo neshama denukfa. Yitzchak was born with a female soul. Now we learned about this, you remember we learned about this, that by the Akedas Yitzchak, when they shechted him, his female soul left, where did it go? It went to Rivka. Okay. The Kaidem Akedah HaYedavik Besara Shehoyolehem Nishma Neshama Echas Yitzchak and Sara sheared one soul. As we know, Yitzhak was very, very close to his mother, Sarah. Sari Menu's soul, which was Nekeva, she shared with Yitzchak, which was Nekeva. Whose soul was that? What did we say in the beginning? Chava's soul. Sari Menu came back as Chava, which means 
that Yitzchak also had a part of Chavasol. Okay? And Sarimenu had a part of Chavasol. Umizehatam. If you look in Rashi, this is a beautiful shir. It's not your regular story, haha shir. This is really learning very, very deep. If you look in Rashi, Rashi says that why did she die? Right? She died because she saw, let me just find the exact words. When she found out that Yitzhak was on the Akedah, he was being prepared to be shechted. He was, he was mamish almost shechted as we learned last week, that, or two weeks ago, that one of his pipes was already cut, his food pipe was already cut. Doesn't say she died. It says that when he was shechted, her neshama flew out of her. And then she died. Normally, you die, and then your neshama leaves. Not your neshama, you die, a person dies, and his neshama leaves. Here it says, her neshama left, and because her neshama left, sounds like it didn't leave on its own will, right? Umesa, she died. Now some people learn, and it's, that she saw the Akedah, the Satan saw the Akedah, she was so upset, that she died. Nonsense. Nonsense. Sorry, Menu was upset. Aram Avinu was on the level that he wanted the Akedah and Sarah didn't want the Akedah. Shama Farshim says she was so upset that she saw he didn't die. She thought that her son failed. That he got on, you know, he was being brought up as a carbon. And at the end, she sees him walking away. She said, oh my goodness, they failed. And that hurt her. She didn't care that, that he was being shechted as a carbon to Hashem. She was as great as, uh, maybe greater even, but she was as great as, as Avram Avinu. So this is what the Chidah says. The Chidah says that if Yitzchak's neshama was a female neshama, and it was half of, it was sharing the neshama of Chava with Sarimenu, then if Yitzchak's neshama left him, then Sarimenu's other half had to leave her, says the Chidah. So the Chidah says, Mizatam, mimenu, when the neshama of Yitzchak left him, Mesa Gamkain Sarah Sarah also died. Because they were one soul. And he says, I'm gonna widen up this situation. Ki Sarah Gilgul Chava. Sarah was a Gilgul of Chava. Ki Yadua. We know listen to this. We know that the neshama that was in Yitzchak when they shechted him was the neshama of Chava. How do we know this? Because where did that neshama go? What, what was, what, how did the Akedah happen? Yitzchak was supposed to be shechted, right? Then it says, Vayikach Ayil Tachas Beno. Right? At the end of the Akedah. Vayikach Ayil, Vayikach Ayil, he took the ram, vayalehu, la'ayla, he brought it up for an ayla, tachas beno, instead of his son. How do you learn that, Pasuk boys? What's the, what's the Nisayan? What's the test? He gave, uh, the, he, he did it, he, he brought an ant, the Akedah was a test to see if he could bring up his own son, his own son he left alive, and instead of his son, what did he take? His daughter? 
His wife? Himself? Oh, he took a ram? Big deal! That's, that's a, that's a, a switch. What does it mean? The Torah is telling us that he took a ram. Tachas Benoi. It, it replaced his son. How does a ram replace his son? What's the test of bringing up a ram? What's the Pusik telling us? Greatness. He went and he took a ram instead of his son. If I told anyone here, the test was to, to bring up his son as a carbon. Instead of his son, he brought, a, he brought an animal. Every day, he, every day they shechted rams for their meat. So what's the Torah telling me over here? It says the Chidah, the Torah is telling us, and many Mephoshim and that Rizal, that the Torah is telling us over here that his son's Neshama, this female Neshama, went into the aisle. So the aisle now had this Neshama. So when he shechted the aisle, he was Mesakein, the Neshama that was in Yitzchak. What Neshama was that? That was Chava. And that was the Tikkun of Chava. How does the Chidon know this? Kishapach and Nishmas Chava, the Nichnasaba Ayom. The Neshama of Chava went into the animal. Menishchat, now he shechted it. Memela, Mesasara. Automatically, Sarah had to die. To Haisigam Kay Nishmas Chava. Because she was the other half of the Neshama of Chava. Ma'avram Avinu. Gam Huyadaze. He knew this. Avram Avinu knew that Yitzhak's Neshama went into the Ayom. That's why the Torah says, Tachas Benoi. He shechted the aisle instead of his son because now the aisle had this neshama. And he knew this. Therefore it says, Vayavai Abram lisbay lisara. That Abram came now to be masbid sara. That manas came ba. Why? Kishapach and Nishma. How did he know that Sarah died? How did he know that Sarah died? He went straight from the Akedah. How did he know that, he, that she died? Because Kishapach and Nishma is Yitzchak. When, when he knew that he shechted the aisle. And Yitzchak's neshama was Nesakein. Yodashi Sarah Thomas, he knew that Sarah would die. The Afshalimois, Vatamas Sarah Vayavoy. And it says in this week's Pasha, right? Vatamas Sarah Vayavoy. I think it's the second Pasha. No? Yes, maybe. Hold on. Second Pasha. Vatamas Sarah Vakiyasavi, he chevered as Kanama. Yavoy Avon Lisboy Lusara, Vilib Chaisa. Right? So he says, if you take the words Vayavoy, right? Vayavoy Avram Lisboy Lusara. What do you mean by Yavoy? He came, right? You should say, Avram was Masbitzara, Limchaisa. What do you mean he came? Right? If you take the word by Yavoy, by Yavoy stands for the Rosh Hateves, Vinishmas, Yitzchak, Betoch, Ayo. Unishamas, Yitzchak, Vav Yud, Unishamas, Yitzchak, Betoch, Ayo. He came because he knew that the neshama of Yitzchak was inside this ram. And once he shechted this ram, he knew that Sarah would die. Shakol shosh echad, ulezev, ayavay Avram. And that's why Avram came. All right. Very nice, Rabbi Wallstein. So We're getting there. 100, 100 127. Now, listen to this. What? Sarah wasn't upset. Well, why did she give out 100 screams? Who said she gave out 100 screams? What? Oh, questions after the share. Okay, we have, uh, we have a... Uh, Someone that's helping us out here. Okay. All right. No exceptions. Okay. Now. Okay. Listen carefully. So now he goes and he goes to buy. He goes to buy. He goes to buy the Marasa Machpelah. Right? So it says, Vayakam Hasada, Bahama'ara Ashebo. And it's, it's a very funny word. Vayakam Hasada sounds like the field got up. 
The field got up, right? And the, and the cave that was in it. Okay. So he says, the Rosh Teva is, of these words, Vayakam Hasada, Vamahara Asherbo, is the Gematria of Chava. Let's see. Chava, Chava, is equals eight and six, eight, uh, six and five is eleven, and nineteen, right? Nineteen. So, if you take the word Vayakam, Chava is nineteen. Eight and six and five. Eight and six and five is nineteen. Vayakam Hasada, Vav and Ahay is eleven. Vav, Vahamara is seventeen. I don't know how Asherbo, we're missing one here. Oh, Imha Kailo, okay, with the word, it's fine. So he says, it's Gematria, Vayakam Hasada, right? Vayakam Hasada, but there should be another word. Imha Kailo means with the, the equal, with the word itself. They both equal, they both equal, um, 20. But he said like this, the safe Tavis, Vayakam Hasada, if you take the last letters of Vayakam Hasada, Gematria Adam, Adam equals 45. But Yaakum ends with a mem, and Sadi eats with a hay, it's 45. What he's trying to bring here, what he's trying to bring here is, the Kfar Noya, the Adam V'chava, that Adam and Chava bowl the Gilgul Avram and Sarah. That's what you need to know. Okay? You need to know that Avram and Sarah came in, in, to fix what Adam and Chava did. Okay. Now he says the following. What did I write here? Moshe Marzamachpela. Okay. So he says here another thing that's very interesting. We don't know where Moshe is buried. We don't know where Tzipor is buried. Right? No one knows where Moshe is buried with Tzipor. And the, the Arizal says that they're actually buried in the Maras HaMachpel. The Arizal says that the, that the Zayra says that Moshe Rabbeinu and his wife are both buried in the Maras HaMachpel. But you're going to ask me a question. It says, Kiyos Arba. And Rashi says, Arba Zugim. There are four pairs. This is a fifth pair. So the Chidot says that four pairs were buried when they died in the Maras HaMachpel. Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu and Tzipora were moved there after they, after they were first buried, because Bochum moved them to Marasa Machpelah. And Taka, there's a raya, I think, in the Medrish, in, in Eicha, because it says that he went to, he went to Avram Yitzhak Yaakov and Adam and everybody, and then he went to Moshe. And it's mashma that, uh, maybe they're in the same place. So he says, that if you take the word Mo'aras Sadaha Machpelah, what it says in the Torah, Mo'aras Sadaha Machpelah, so it's Mem Shin Spells Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu. So he says that Moshe Rabbeinu and, and Tzipora are also buried in, um, in the Marasim HaPel. So Marasim HaPel is a very holy place. We all know that. Okay. The basis that I want to get, that I'm trying to get from the Chidah here is that you have to understand that, that Yitzchak was a Neshama de Nukfa, was a female Neshama that ended up being in the Isle, which was Chava, and ended up as we said last week, two weeks ago, that that neshama, when it was shechted, went into Rivka, who was born on the same day as the Akedah. How do we know that? Because three years later, when Yitzchak went out, he met Rivka and it says she was three years old. So we know now, and this is the way I want to get you, that Rivka got the neshama that was in Yitzchak, which was a partner of Sarah, which was Chava. Now, this week's parasha... What the Isle was shechted, and that neshama went after the shechita went into Rivka. This week's parsha, everybody knows in Parshas Chayisara that Eliezer went looking for a wife. It was psukim I never understood until I learned this chidah, and and we'll see where Chaim Vital is totally mind-boggling. And he says like this: 
when he when he sees her, it's amazing how this fits into the prosper. Okay, listen carefully. Wow, 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 wow. Listen to this. Matisse Rivka say now. Rivka lifted up her eyes. Now who's Rivka? Guys, you followed me? Anyone still awake? So I didn't tell you stories about Bloomingdale tonight. You're learning tonight. It's good. It's good to learn once in a while. No? Who was Rivka? Was Chava. And who was Yitzchak? It's Adam. Because he got a new Neshama. His Neshama left. So he was Adam. So when, when Rivka saw him, Batista Rivka say now, now that you have to remember they were married before. This was Chava and, and Adam, right? Batista Rivka say now, Bateres Yitzchak, she saw Yitzchak, she saw Adam, she fell right off the camel. She was back. Chava was back. And she couldn't believe it. She's looking at Adam. Wait. We're not done. Now, what happens when Yitzchak, who's Adam... Now, Yitzchak, we don't forget, was connected to who? To Sari Imeno. And Yitzchak brought her to the tent... Whose tent? Sarah Imo. He brought her to the tent where she came from. It was Sarah, his mother. Because who was Sarah? Chava. Where did that neshama end up? In Rivka. So who is Rivka? Sarah. Listen carefully. You missed a pasik. Vayikach has Rivka. He took Rivka. But the Isha, he married her. Now, the rest of this, the Torah doesn't, the Torah is not a romanticist book. By Yoheva, he loved her. By Yinachem Yitzchak, Achare Imoy. And Yitzchak was consoled after his mother. What does that mean? He still lost his mother, so he got Rivka. But he lost his mother. But now that he married Rivka, and Rivka was, was, was in the Shem of Sarah, because it was all in the Shem of Chava, and he was in the Shem of Adam, by Yevelah, he loved him, by Yenachim, Achrimai. He was back, he was back to being part of Sarah, by marrying Rivka. What a chidah. What a chidah. What we see in this world, you think you meet a girl, you get married, you could have known each other, who knows when, being masaki, what you did last time, who knows what's going on. This is just a, just, just to look into the words of what's going on here, but it's going to get a lot better. You just have to hold, you got a country a few more minutes. Okay, so now, let's go a little bit further. Now we're going to go into the, into Rav Chaim Bital. So Rav Chaim Bital says like this. Next week's Pasha. Then we'll get into some good stories. Next week's Pasha. If you don't write this down, there's no way you're going to remember this. There's no way. So, okay, yeah, if you, if you watch it a few times. Alright, now, no interruptions. Now, I don't know, no interruption. <laughs> now listen, listen. <laughs> Who's Rivka? <laughs> Who's Yitzchak? Okay. Chava needs to be Masakin to do a tikkun on what happened with her and Adam. Let's go back to Pasha's Beratius. Pasha's Beratius. When she ate, when she gave him from the tree, Hashem says the following. 
Ulo Adam Omar. And Adam Hashem said to Adam, Because you listened to the voice of your wife, and you ate from the tree, and he got cursed. She had to fix that, that she gave to him to eat from the tree, and he got cursed because he listened to his wife. Listen to this chidah. Listen to this chidah. Next week's parasha shows the famous switch, right? That Rivka was behind, that Esav, that Esav should lose the bracha, and that Yaakov should get the bracha. Right? Who was Esav? Who was Esav? Everyone knows, who's Esav? Who's Esav? The Nachash. Esav is the Nachash. Esav is the Nachamavas. Esav is the Yitzhara. So the Esav was the Nachash. Who's Yitzchak? Adam. Who's Rivka? Chava. Okay. Who's Yaakov? The Yitzhatayv. No, right now, he's the Yitzhatayv. Until Yitzhak goes, until Yitzhak dies, he's the Yitzhatayv. Now. Now. Listen carefully. Listen, listen, listen. Let, let, let me read it from inside. So he says, he says the following. This is, this is not normal. He says like this. He says like this. I want to skip all the way down, all the way. Okay. Listen carefully. And he called to Esau, his oldest son. Who was Adam's oldest son? Kayin. Esau was not only the Nachash, but he was also Kayin. And he called him his son, Atuhu Kayin ben Adam. And Esau said, if you look and told us, he said, I'm here. And he said, what do I want you to do? Uh, you are Esau is what? Esau, what is he called? Ish. Sadeh. Latsud Sayyid. What was Kayin called? Ish Sadeh. He was an Ish Sadeh. He was a farmer. He took care of the field. So they were the same. Okay. What did Kayin do? Kayin was a murderer. He killed Havel. What did Esav do? He killed Nimrod. That's how he got the coat. He was also known to be a murderer. Okay. Now, he says, what did the Nachash do? The Nachash got Adam to eat from the Eitz Hadas. What is in the Eitz? Well, Adam and Chava. To eat from the Eitz Hadas. What's in the Eitz Hadas? What did I tell you in the, in, in when I spoke to you, Pasha Bereshis? That, that in the Eitz Hadas is Toivara. Right? He, the Nachash, told Chava that if you eat from the fruit, you'll know good and bad. So in the Eitz Hadas was good and bad mixed. And of course, that's the hardest thing to find out in life, is to be able to separate good and bad. All good is easy. All bad is easy. The Yitzhar doesn't get you to sin on all bad. He never comes up to you and says, Do this crazy Avera! No, no, no. He starts off with you doing sins that you think are mitzvahs. Oh, I'm doing something good, even though it's very bad. So, good and bad mixed, right? So that's why when he, he, when he, he asked him to bring him two matamim. Two matamim, he asked him to bring two goodies. Bring me two goodies, he told Esau. <coughs> now, I don't want to, I'm not going to go into all the, all the Kabbalah here, but what I want to get to you is like this. Now. She had a chance now, Rivka, she wanted to fix the, the Avera that she did. Now, what was the Avera that she did? The Avera that she did was that Adam listened to her bad advice. That she told him, she told Adam to eat from this 
tree, which is actually grapes, which he squeezed into grape juice, right? So, He listened to the voice of Chava. So now, she said, I'm going to fix this. Last time I gave him the most terrible advice. Last time I gave him the advice that he should eat from the tree. Ended up bringing bad and hate. This time, I'm going to give him the best advice. I'm going to switch Yaakov and Esau. I'm going to have a, I'm going to have Yaakov get the bracha. Instead of Esau get the bracha, I'm going to save the world. So the last time, how are you misaking that you gave, that you gave bad advice? To give good advice. So what happened? Neudik. She says, she says to, to Yaakov, who turns to his mother, who he knew Baruch HaKodesh is Chava, and he said, you caused, you caused, because of you, Chava, you caused the curse to come to the world. If my father is going to find out that I'm cheating him and doing a switch, he's going to curse me. Said, said Chava, which was Rivka, a lie, Klala. This time, the Klala's on me. I got the Klala already. This time, I'm going to fix the Klala. This time, I'm going to get, I'm going to get you the Bracha, which is going to fix the Klala. So he says, The reason that Adam was punished, because he listened to his wife. This time, she tells, her son Yaakov, Ach Shama Bakaili. This time, listen to me and listen to my advice. Because what I'm doing this time is I'm giving you advice to do a mitzvah, not to do an Avera. And therefore, I want to be masaking what I did last time. What is, what is, what does she send him? Unbelievable. Listen to this. Bring me the food in order that I could give you a bracha. The opposite of what Chava did the first time. The first time she brought him food in order that he get a kala. Now, she's fixing it and she's bringing Yaakov and doing, and, and, and fooling. She fooled Adam. The, the, the Medrash says that, she, that the, the Eitzhadas was, was a vine of grapes. She knew if she brought a vine of grapes to him to eat, he would say, what is that, it's a das? I'm not eating it. So she went ahead, the manager says, and she took the grapes and she squeezed them and she brought him wine. And he didn't know that the wine came from the grapes. She figured, oh, wine, I can drink wine. So she fooled him by what she gave him to eat, which caused the destruction of the world, which caused hate. Here, she fooled him by food, the same thing by food, he brought food, but to give a brach instead of a klolan. That was, that was her tikkun. What did she tell him to give? He didn't ask. He asked Esav. If you look what he asked Esav, he said, He said, I am old. I'm, I'm dying. Get your arrows. Get your, get your sword. Get everything you need. But say, And, 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 and hunt me down an animal. And cook it up. Kasha hafti like I like I like it. He told Esau, go out in the field, catch me some venison, fry it up, cook it up with onions, however I like it, and, and give it to me. That's all he asked Esau to bring him. He asked him to bring him meat, game that he hunted down. Now let's look at what Rivka sent Yaakov to bring him. 
He said, Are you my son? He said, I am. He said, Come here. He said, Come close and give me from what you wanted so I can give you a bracha. Because all he asked him was for meat. He asked him, Go get me venison and then, you know, grill it and bring it to me. He, so he, now he's blind and he's telling Esau, well, he thinks it's Esau, it's Yaakov. He says, Bring me the stuff that you caught. What does Yaakov give him? And Yaakov approaches him. He gives him to eat the meat, right? Yaakov. And on the loy, there's a um, special trap. It's like maybe on two or three, it's on three words in the whole time of this trap. So it's by What did he bring him? What's this loy? What did he bring him? What did he bring him? He only asked him for meat. He gave him the meat already. What else did he bring him? What else did Chava now send to be Masakein, Rifka, to be Masakein? Adam, who's Yitzchak? Vayavei lo yayin She fixed what she did. She brought him wine and he drank from it. She was Masakein the wine that she brought from the Etzadas. Aviv, Yitzchak his father said, Gishana, who was Adam, and he blessed him. When did he bless him? After he got the wine that was Mesakin, the first Avera, and Chava did when she brought the wine to Adam, and he was cursed. Now she brought the wine to, to, to Yaakov, to Yitzchak, and from that came the bracha that Klai Yisrael has. Nayudik. That a person we see from here, from all these different Gilgulim, we see from here the chances that a Baruch Hu gives Chava so many years later that she's able to be Masakein what she did wrong in the beginning of the world. Every single human being. We're all here not for the first time, that's for sure. It's definitely not our first time. Every single human being is here to fix something that they, were, that, that they did the time before. We all have to have a schus that, uh, that if, our, if our goof is not so busy with a takeover of our neshama, and we're, we're much more in touch with our souls. If we're much more in touch with our souls, we can figure out what we need to fix. So, today, I had this chus of sinning by Rabbi Brody. When he gave his share, he wrote the, um, the books, Garden of Amuna, And he was talking about Amuna. So I'd like to, um, I'd like to say over some of the things that I heard him, that I heard him say today, which I found very fascinating. So, so of course, the most important thing in a person's life is Amuna, is, 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 is having belief in God. Is talking to Hashem and, 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 and realizing that there's a Hashem and connecting to Hashem. He even did an exercise, a beautiful exercise that he did, um, with the girls and he said that, um, he said even if you didn't have such a grandfather, everybody in the room can imagine, can imagine having such a grandfather, an, an older man who sits on a chair, and no matter what his grandchild did wrong, whatever it is, and no matter how hard he, the, the kids got potched by their parents and how, how bad they're doing in school, there was always a Zaydi. I had one. I don't know how many guys here had one. There was always a Zaydi, a grandfather, that was a, or a grandmother that was a safe place for you. They never judged you. And the more you got hit by other people, the more they cuddled you and kissed you and gave you candy. Just the opposite. They didn't say like, oh, you ready hit you, you're going to get another one for me? It was just the opposite. So he told all the girls... He said, close your eyes, and you can do this at home. Close your eyes, and imagine 
sitting on this person's lap, whoever it is, Yazidi or Yababi, and just being wrapped in a hug, and, and just telling Yazidi everything that's going on in your life, and knowing that you're not being judged, and that the more pain you're going through, the stronger the hug and the, and the bigger the kiss. He said, that's God. He said, that's understanding what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is. And he said something very fascinating, because, you know, the girls, some of them were in a lot of pain. Some of them were in a lot of pain, and they're like, bottom line is, you know, God has a lot of Jews, a lot of people in the world. What does He care about me? What does He care about me? So this Rabbi Brody was a, was a commando special unit this Rabbi Brody, who wrote the Sefer, was a commando special unit of the Israeli army. He was actually in the Olympics, in the Munich massacre. He was one of the special commandos that worked for the Mossad that, um, he wasn't going to get into it, but that actually killed, went after, they knew every single Arab, every single, they were let go of these guys, right? And, and I don't know if you remember, but like five, six years later, all over the place, like one Arab would get killed in France, and one, and they realized that the Israeli special unit was knocking off every single Arab that had anything to do with that massacre. He was part of that unit. And he, the last, how he became religious, I mean, he'll tell you the story one day, but he ended up in the Lebanese war, so they found that they were, from the Russian, um, no, from the Russian consulate, there were four Katusha launchers in the back of the Russian consulate where, they were, where the Arabs were shooting into Israel. And the Israeli Air Force couldn't bomb the Russian consulate because you bomb the Russian, Russian territory. If you bomb the Russian consulate, you got a third world war. So they sent 12 commandos into Lebanon, totally behind enemy lines, into the Russian compound to go knock out these Katusha rockets. He was one of the 12. Four of them got killed right off. Four Israeli guys got killed right off. He said they were in a crossfire where a bullet hit him in the head, in his face, half his eye was cut under, whatever. He thought he was dead for sure, there was no question. There was no way out. They were like totally surrounded, and there was no way out of Lebanon. They were deep in Lebanon. They were in Cyprus, I don't know, deep in Lebanon. He said he turned to Hashem, and he said he was totally not Dati. His parents still are not, he knew nothing. He didn't even know that Hashem's called Hashem. He never heard, he never heard the word Hashem. That was totally, didn't know nothing. He said, I was a killer, I was trained to kill, and that's what I did. He said, I didn't know anything else. And he was telling us how the Aleph Bays, that the Israeli, um, this, this group learned from the Aleph Bays, from Dabra Melech. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's a way to use the Aleph Bays to kill, and that the, to fight. That the Chaf goes around the neck, and it pulls, it, pulls the, it pulls the neck out, and the Aleph is a certain stance, and the Bays is another stance. It was amazing, and that's how they teach whatever, these killers, how to use the Aleph base, actually, and that was learned from some Kabbalah from Dabra Melech's army. It was amazing. Anyway, he was in this position, he said to Hashem, he said, wherever you are, if you get me out of this, I'm yours forever. I, I, I will just give myself over to you, he said, and they had like the craziest miracles, and 80, eight of these guys got out, destroyed the Katushas, and got out of, and got back to Israel. Eight, eight out of the twelve. So then he gave himself over to Akash Baruch Hu. But, but he's just, just, uh, just a, an absolute amazing man. And he, so he was, so he's talking about, to the girls about, about counting, why each person counts. So he said, he said, he said something very unbelievable. He said that on every level, on every level, Hashem shows that he counts. A snowflake, he doesn't make two the same. Why not? Would anyone in this room care if Hashem made two snowflakes the same? Who cares, right? But Akash Baruch Hu shows himself on every level that even in snowflakes, only a, only a God can make no two snowflakes alike. So he shows himself on every level, you just have to be able to see it. So he says, on the human level, he created thumbprints. 
That's what he created. Thumbprints, fingerprints. Why do you create fingerprints? So that every single person, so the fingerprint is the fingerprint of the soul. So there's no two souls alike. So therefore, you can look exactly alike. He said, but a fingerprint is what IDs a person. He says, now, if you show a picture, if you go to court and you show a picture of a guy killing another person, right? They will, not, they will not accept that picture in court. Because today, in photographic labs, you can take someone's head, right, and place it in any action or anything that's going on. So show me a picture that someone's killing someone could have been doctored in a photographic lab. But a fingerprint on a murder weapon can't be copied. So that people look sometimes alike, he says, that's not Hashem, made every single one of us have a different fingerprint. He says, so every one of us is a different limb. In, in Kabbalah, it's called a different light, a different nitzvot of Hashem, right? We're all part of His neshama. So every single person is a different limb in God's neshama. Therefore, he says, imagine a person who chaf v'shalom, one of his fingers gets cut off. It's laying on the floor. Guy's screaming in pain. You're like, hey man, what are you screaming about? You have nine other ones. What are you getting all excited? You have nine other fingers, right? You lost one toe. Big deal. You have nine other toes. You got two hands. We cut off one hand. You still have another hand, right? You have two eyes. So you lost one eye. What are you getting so excited? You have one eye. You have one ear. What are you getting so crazy? The answer is that if you have nine other limbs, you're still missing that limb. He said, there's something which I heard about. He, you know, he was, of course, in this in this unit, so they, they dealt with a lot of Nebuch soldiers that, that lost limbs in the army and, and, and grenades and mines and bombs and all this other stuff. He says, the most painful pain, and I read about this in a book, the most painful pain is when, God forbid, a limb is amputated and where that limb was, it's called phantom pain. There's no limb there and you're still in pain like if the limb was there. And the panic is that you can't fix a pain that's a phantom pain because it's not there. If a limb hurts you, you can take a shot in the limb. You could, if the limb is broken, you can put the limb in a cast. But if someone's missing an arm and he's walking around, ow, and there's no arm, you can't fix it. So he turned to the girls in the high school today and he said, he says, when a, when a person does avarice, does sins. And one of the punishments for, one of the, not punishments, one of the consequence for a sin, for instance, sleeping with a girl that's not being, that's not married and she's a nida, right? She's impure. So the punishment for that is kares. What does kares mean? Kares means amputation. So a Jewish person who does a sin that he's high of kares, means he's amputated from God's body. So God sits and has phantom pain of that soul that's been cut off God's body because it's not even there. It's not even there. If it's not even there, you can't fix it. He says, but we know there's nothing beyond tshuva. Tshuva brings that, brings someone's hands cut off, his fingers cut off, and you run. My, my daughter's finger got caught in a door and she cut the top of her finger off, and we put it into a cup of water, and we called out Salah, and we went to Bellevue, right? And within an hour, we got to Bellevue, they sewed it back on with microsurgery. And today, nobody would ever know that that happened. She has full use of the finger. So the amputation was sewn back on in time. 
person who does tshuva, right? That's microsurgery. It's taking back that person who did these averes with that is chayv chelo shabbos, right? That is chayv kares, and sewing it back to the neshama of Klai Yisrael, and therefore you don't have the phantom pain anymore. And as long as that person's back there, even if there's something wrong, you can fix it. No, you did. What a thought. What an amazing thought. It's an amazing thought. She says, yes, every person thinks you don't count. What do you mean you don't count? You're one of the limbs. But Hashem, you have 19 million others. So I have, I have nine other hand fingers. But the one that I'm missing hurts. And everybody has to understand that they're a limb of that great neshama that we're connected to, Baruch Hu, of Klai Yisrael. So he said, he was talking about drugs. Drugs and, and pills for a person who's depressed. He spoke a lot about that today. So he said something that I always say, but he said it better. He said it better than I say. He said something very, very fascinating. Listen to this. He said, when your mouth gets dry and parched, your mouth is not thirsty. Your mouth is not thirsty. Your body is thirsty. And the way your body tells you that it's thirsty, how does that show? In other words, if you didn't know that your body needs water, if you had no lights going off in your body that your body needs water, then you're going to totally dehydrate and die. So the way Hashem created, God created us is that your mouth gets parched and your tongue gets dry and that's how your body sends a message to your brain, uh-oh, I'm thirsty. So you take a drink of water. I'm not thirsty. But if your mouth didn't get dry, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't take the drink of water, you would dry, you would die of not getting any water. Your stomach grumbles, and you have this feeling in your stomach that you're hungry because your body needs food. If you were never hungry, you would never eat. If you would never eat, you would die. So Hashem, it's not that your stomach is hungry, it's that your toe needs nutrients from the food that you're going to eat. Your whole body is hungry. Your stomach's not hungry. Your body is hungry. Your body is thirsty. He said something amazing. He said, so those are the symptoms of your body to tell you that it needs nutrients. Right? Your body has all these bells in it. You get a headache because of this. You get temperature. Temperature means, why do you have fever? You touch your head, it's 102. Your head doesn't have fever. Your head doesn't have fever. Your body has fever. Why does your body have fever? Because it's telling your brain, there's a war. There are cells that don't belong in this body. So we're building anti-white cells that are running right over there, which is causing a war. War is causing a fever. Now you got to take anti... So if you didn't know that, you, you never got fever. You would never know you're sick. You'd all of a sudden die from whatever strep. If you didn't get a sore throat, it's amazing. If you didn't get a sore throat and a headache and fever, you would die from strep every time. It would take apart your body. There's no symptoms. You would die. So the sore throat and the rash and the headache and the fever that you get from strep is telling your brain that our whole body is sick. There's a war going on. So Hashem set up your body with all these different signals like in an airplane, all the things that say no pressure, no this, no that. All those millions of buttons are in your body Right? But your mouth is not thirsty. Your body's thirsty. He says, what about your soul? How do you know 
when your soul is hungry and thirsty. He says, when you feel depressed, when you feel depressed, your soul is saying, I don't feel well. I'm not connected to God. I need connection. I need connection. I need connection. Just like your body says, I'm thirsty. I need water. Your soul says, I need connection. How does your soul say you need connection? Do you have fever? No. Your soul tells you, I need connection. I'm, I'm, I'm down. I'm sad. I'm agitated. That's the soul screaming. That's an emotional reaction. Being depressed is emotional. It's saying, I don't feel good emotionally means I need connection to HaKosh Baruch Hu. I need my food. You're not davening. You're not learning. You're not plugging into Hashem. I'm starving. Now, if we didn't have depression, everything Hashem created is for good. What's depression? What's good about depression? The same thing that's good about a rash. You have a rash means that there's something wrong. You have fever means there's something wrong. You're depressed means there's something wrong. If you never got depressed, you could be disconnected from Hashem, your soul could be dying, and you'll never know. You'll walk around, you'll never know. But all of a sudden you're in pain. You don't feel well, you feel low, you feel depressed, you feel alone. Hashem is crying. That's the symptom. Now, so what happened? H.R. said, if you're depressed, take a pill. Smoke a joint. Get blitzed. Get a girl. Go to a bar. Listen to rap. So, your emotional soul is telling you, I'm depressed, and you're feeding it with physical things. So that's like something, someone coming over to me and saying, Rebbe, I haven't eaten for two days, I'm starving. Okay, come sit, I'm going to tell you a good Torah. <laughs> it's very nice, but right now I need food. I'm ready, I need something to drink, I need something to drink. Oh, you must learn this safer. It's going to help you a lot. It's not going to help you a lot. Because you're physically thirsty, you're giving me spirituality. I'm spiritually thirsty, you're giving me physicality. You're giving me drugs and a girl and music, you're not helping me. You're giving me some medicine, uppers, lowers, Prozac, Schmozac, all this stuff is, is, is fixing my physical body, actually screwing up my physical body. But you're not helping my, my emotional. So what happens? The alarm, now the soul is falling, so it's screaming even louder. So you get, after you come out of the drugs, you get more depressed that you did the drugs. Now you need more drugs, and you become an addict. And you keep feeding the wrong Bria. You're coming to me and telling me, Rebbe, I'm dying of thirst. Instead of giving you water, I'm giving you salty, salty pretzels. So the Neshama, you feel low, you feel down. Instead of going and opening up a safer or saying to heal him or putting on tefillin or davening or going into a field and saying, Hashem, I love you. I, I, need, I need a sign. I want to talk to you. Instead of doing that, you're eating salty pretzels. You're doing drugs. How's that going to help you? It's going to make you worse. You're going to get sicker. But the problem with drugs more than anything else is that the drugs deaden the emotion. So the, the symptom that you have is there, you don't even feel it. So now you're surely going to die. Because the only thing that's going to save you is if you feel the symptom and you have fever, you're going to take Tylenol. One of the problems with cancer is that the symptoms of cancer don't show right away. By the time they show, they've already done a lot of damage. Because the symptoms are hidden in that disease. So many times, for instance, what are you talking about? You see something, I feel great. The guy's telling me, it's three weeks, and he feels great. 
The worst disease is when there's no symptoms. So what do you do? You feel depressed. So you take something to get rid of the depression. So now you don't feel the symptoms. Now you're going to die. You're going to become an addict, and that's what's going to happen. And no addict will ever tell you that they feel better about life because they're doing drugs. So he gave a Neuvidikar Marshal. I want to tell you this Marshal. And then, because we have to finish tonight, I'm talking 11.30, but I have to tell you this marshal that he gave today. Unbelievable marshal. He says, there's a guy, I know you don't believe it, but we're actually going to finish in six minutes. <laughs> he says, there's a pilot and a co-pilot, they're in a 747, flying New York, L.A. These two guys, they like to live the life, like those guys, you know, who flew 150 miles, 50 miles over Chicago, wherever it went. Okay. Anyway, so they take off from, from Kennedy, they're like an hour into the flight, they put everything on automatic. They're sitting back in the, in the cockpit, reading Archie comics, whatever. They get their feet up. Planes on automatic. It's flying. This pilot is the most mellow guy. He hates tension. He hates being down. He's like a happy guy, whatever it is. Nobody knows. He even smokes sometimes once in a while. He smokes a cigar in the cockpit. You know, the two of them, they fly together all the time. They're relaxed, guys. They're... All of a sudden, they're about three hours out of L.A., and this little red light starts flashing on the right-hand side, the port side. The left side, actually, the port side. This little light starts flashing. Right engine, losing pressure, losing oil. And the thing's starting to go like this. They know if they lose the right engine, they're going to be in big trouble, right? Light flashing. Co-pilot says, hey, man, we got we to gotta, we gotta land, you know, I don't know, Colorado. We got to land in Colorado. This plane's going down, man. We got to land. He's like, don't get nervous. Don't get nervous. What's bothering you? Because what are you crazy? What do you mean what's bothering you? The freaking light is flashing like crazy. What's wrong with you? We're losing, we're losing oil. We're losing pressure. We're losing the engine. What do you mean what's bothering me? Because the freaking light's bothering you. Watch this. Takes the light. Boom. Pulls out. Puts the red cover back on. Says, ain't no light anymore. <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? We're losing oil, he says. Sit back and relax. You see any lights flashing? All of a sudden, the other side starts to flash. <laughs> He's like, man, there's something really wrong. We lose a second engine. You know, we're in big trouble. He says, didn't I teach you the first time? <laughs> takes the red cap off, takes the bowl, puts it down. What's going to happen? That plane's going down. 550 people are going to die. So, Rev. Laser Brody said today, he said, when you're depressed... Taking a pill doesn't fix what's wrong. Smoking a joint doesn't fix what's wrong. Drinking half a bottle of vodka doesn't fix what's wrong. It just takes the bulb out of the red light that's flashing. It's just going down. And the more you drink and the more you do drugs, the faster you're going down. And not only are you going down, but when you're going down, you're taking everyone around you down. He says, drugs don't fix anything. Drinking doesn't fix anything. Prozac doesn't fix anything. He says, the neshama is crying and it's a pain because the engine's leaking oil. You need to land and fix the engine. Not take the bulb out. He said, this generation, all they're interested is in taking the bulb out because the light is bothering them. It's flashing. Is that something going on? I don't want to know about it. I don't want to know about it. I want to feel good. So you smoke up and you do whatever you have to. He says, but in the end, the plane's going to crash. 
Maybe the commercial. So, so, so true. All right. So, it's 11.28. So, I want to end with this story. It's a two-minute story. I'm sorry. It's only two minutes. So, anyway, we see from tonight, we see from tonight's year that everybody is intertwined. Every neshama is intertwined. Rivka is fixing for Chava. Yitzchak is fixing for Adam. Yitzchak getting married to Rivka is bringing back Sarah. Everything HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is all connected. Everything we do is all connected. You think it's just me. It's not just me. Every one of us is a piece of that big soul and God forbid can cause what's called phantom pain. It's an interesting thing. I want to tell you something really weird that I have found a new thing and I'm sure some of you have had it. So many times when I dive in, I put my phone, or when I'm in business means, I put my phone on vibrate. There are times that I have no phone in my jacket and I feel something vibrating and I put my hand in and there's nothing there. Phantom phone vibration. <laughs> I don't know if you have it. Even on, right on Shabbos. I'm on Shabbos and all of a sudden I'm feeling vibration and I'm going through my phone, but it's not there. Phantom phone vibration. No, I'm just, I'm just saying it's like a full, like it's weird. It's like you feel it, but it's not there, right? I guess when you get used to something, that's why the limb, the body's, the body's used to it, right? So whatever. Okay. Anyway, I just want to end with this story because this is like an amazing story that our laser Brody said today and, and we'll end with this. So he said that, um, there's, there, there's many ways that a Kodesh Baruch Hu brings a person if you want. So one of the girls asked him a very good question. She said, he was telling a story how this one girl in Dakota, so she wrote him a letter. You know, it's very nice. You talk about Emuna. He's, and she said, you know, that, um, so this girl wrote a letter that, you know, I was listening to one of your Shurim, Rabbi Brody, and you said that if you call out to God and you ask him and you call him and you call him and you call him, he'll answer you. So one of the girls in my school asked him, what are you talking about? There'll be times I called him, he didn't answer me. So I explained to that girl, you have to be tuned into seeing the answer. I went, I went for an eye test not that long ago. So they thought I had a problem with my vision, and they, they took this weird test where in the peripheral vision area, like totally over here, they put these eyeglasses on you, like totally over here somewhere, there'll be like a light, and then a light over here. Certain positions that if you have a certain eye disease, you can see straight, you can see everything, but there's certain positions you won't see. So every time you saw a flash, I have to say I saw the flash, right? Flash, 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 whatever. So he said in this disease, a person can manage to see regular but they can't see certain spots in certain areas. So I explained to the girls, I said that, depending on where your neshama is, some people see Hashem in a flower. Some people see Hashem in a butterfly. You know, when you play hide and go seek, so when you see kids play, some of them really look, and some of them are like, he's not in the bathroom, he's not in the closet, he's not in the room. I'm like, I know the kid's in the bathroom, in the bathtub with the cover on, you know. And I said, did you really look hard? I looked really hard. I'm like, no, you didn't. He's in the bathroom. No, I looked in the bathroom. He's in the bathroom. Go back. Goes back into the bathroom. No, he's not in the bathroom. I'm like, you don't really want to find him. No, I really want to find him. I'm like, no. I'm telling you, he's in the bathroom. So don't leave this bathroom till you look for him in the tissue box. <laughs> he's in the bathroom. Guess what? He finds him. He finally moves the shower curtain and sees that the kid's laying in the bathroom. So the first four times he went in there, he looked for him. He looked for him. He didn't really look for him. There's a way of looking for something, and there's a way of not looking for something. If you're really looking for Hashem, do the math. Do the math. When you're 30 years old, 
when a person is 30 years old, his heart had already beat one billion times. Average heartbeat, 60 beats per minute. Times that by 60 for an hour, times that by 24, by 7, by 4, by 12, by 30. It'll be a billion something. By the time a person is 30 years old, your heart has beat, has, 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 has heartbeat. One billion times. You have never gone in for an oil change. We hope. You've never gone in for a tranny change. You've never plugged in to get a battery. You never got oil for it or gas. It just keeps beating 60 times per minute. One billion beats in 30 years, which makes 2 billion beats in 60 years, which means that a person's life, if he lives to 70 or 80, he's about 2 point something billion heartbeats with no electrical current, gas, oil, or any type of energy except for the body. And we have to hope, no oil change, nothing. Before 30, for sure not. Your car, after every 20,000 miles, needs new brakes. After every 5,000 miles, needs new oil. After 3,000 miles, new spark plugs after a certain amount. Your heart beats so, 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 so. You could look for Hashem, and He's right here. A billion heartbeats at 30. He's right here. How could there be no God? But there's a billion heartbeats. A billion heartbeats inside of you. You don't have to look to the galaxies. So it depends how you understand how to play hide and go seek. Are you really looking for him? I said, if you're really looking for him, he answers. Anyway, so, so anyway, this girl, so he says this girl in Dakota. So she writes him a letter that she went out to the field, Dakota. How many Jewish girls are there in Dakota? South Dakota. She goes into the fields in South Dakota. And she turns to God and she says, God, Rabbi Lazar Brody wrote a book. And in his book he said, if you call to God, he'll answer. Show me a sign! This is what she, she, write, she said he has the email, so she writes him an email. She says, show me a sign. I guess in Dakota there's a thing called a um, gopher. It's called a star-spangled gopher. It's a little gopher, right? And it has stripes on the back and little white dots. So that's what they call it. And it's the most unfriendly animal that you can meet. It's very, very scared of humans. Very. It's a very beautiful, cute little gopher, but it's very scared of humans. She, she writes to him. She says, I want you to know that here I am in the middle of the field, South Dakota, saying, God, show me a sign. All of a sudden, this little gopher comes out of his hole right in front of me. She said, Rabbi, I swear to you, that little thing smiled at me. <laughs> he says, he has the email. Turned around, went back into its hole. He says, if you really, really mean it. Now, another person can say, lucky, the gopher happened to have come out. He had gas. He had stomachache. <laughs> you no, know, that's why he smiled. Whatever it is, you want to make excuses, you can make excuses. Anyway, so he told me this. Uh, he told me this. This is, so how, how do you find Hashem? She says that you know, a rabbi in Cleveland, I don't know what his name was. He was teaching. He goes once a week and gives a class in this huge college out there somewhere. I forgot the name of the college. It doesn't matter. And he has like 25 um, kids in his class, some mostly Jews, some not, whatever. And he talks about relationship of a human and God. So he says that he came into the class and he asked the class, does anyone in this class of 25 know what the word emuna means? These are all kids, nothing. They know nothing, right? One kid raises his hand. He goes, emuna, true belief in the one above. The rabbi looks at him and says, did you go to yeshiva? He says, nope. Do you know anything else about Torah? Nope. 
The only word I know in Jewish is emuna. True belief in the one above. He says, Rabbi, could I tell you how I know? Rabbi says, sure. He says, I'll tell you a story. He says, me and my friends went down to Alabama on a Friday night to a bar. Me and two of my friends. We're sitting at the bar. I'm wearing my mug and David, right? My mug and David chain. And the, we, we ordered three beers. The waitress comes over. She's got, you know, cut off the t-shirt. You know, she's not, her arms aren't covered. And on her hand is a big tattoo. E-M-U-N-A. Emuna. So, I don't know what that means. I don't know what she tattooed. She looks at my mug and dove and she goes, I don't believe it. You guys are Jewish. He goes, yeah. She goes, you know what that means? He goes, no. Because these guys never know anything. She says, man, I got to tell you boys a story. <laughs> she says, I was going out with this, I was going out with this guy. He was a lawyer. And I thought he was making millions of dollars. He was talking about all his lawyer friends. And he's a lawyer. And I was loving him. I was, a, I was in love with that boy. And I was going to marry that boy. He picked himself up one day. He just left me. My heart was broken. I was depressed. He said, the owner of this bar is a Jew. He says, and the owner of this bar had Rabbi Brody's book called the Muna, the, the, the Garden of the Muna. He said, girl, you broken. You've got to read this man's book. Because you read this man's book, your heart will not be ever broken. She said, I took that book and I read that book from one end to the other. Good book. Nice book. She said, but I didn't believe nothing. She said, I didn't believe that I'm special. I didn't believe all that stuff that the rabbi said. And that whatever God does is good for you. Man, how could it be good? My lawyer, my boyfriend, he just got up and just left me. My heart's broken. Book or no book. How could that be good for me? She goes, boys, she's talking to the three guys that are drinking. She goes, boys, you got to hear the end of this story. She goes, two weeks later, my girlfriend calls me up. She says, hey, girl, did you read about your boyfriend that left you? It's in the newspapers. She goes, no, what does it say? She says, lawyer, my, I don't want to say what she said. Lawyer, my, he ain't no lawyer. He just got arrested. He had eight kilos of coke. He was a freaking drug dealer, man. He was no lawyer. The whole thing was a fake. She said, oh my God, Rabbi Brody, that book is good. God saved my butt. I would have been married to a drug dealer, man. He would have taken me down with him. She said, so you know what I did? The first thing I did is I never want to forget that word. So I ran to the tattoo guy. And I said, you better put a tattoo on my hand that says E-M-U-N-A, Muna, because you got to believe in that God because he's always watching you. He said, I went to get a drink in a bar. He said, I knew nothing about anything. And look where I learned Emunah from. From a non-Jewish girl who was a waitress. Hashem has many messengers to show us that He always cares and He's always watching us. You just need to open your eyes and you need to look for it. And when you're in pain and you're depressed, understand it's not your body that's crying out. It's your soul. Don't feed it physical things. Don't feed it anesthesia and try to make the pain go away because as long as there's pain, you know there's something wrong, you're going to correct it. When the pain is gone, when you take those pills and drugs and the drinking, then you don't even know how sick you are. 
And if you don't know how sick you are, the plane's going to crash. Don't pop out the bulbs. Fix the engines. Learning Torah and doing mitzvahs and davening to Hashem and talking to Hashem. Just leaving here tonight and sitting on your bed and saying, God, you know, we haven't been talking in a while and I am depressed. And my soul hasn't, I haven't fed this soul. That poor soul has fasted for like 20 years. My soul hasn't eaten anything in 20 years. And I want to start feeding it. And I have to tell you something. It's something interesting. Don't get crazy. Feed it slowly. Don't all of a sudden take on things, right, that are too much for you to do. Feed it slowly. Because in the Holocaust, a lot of people died when the American soldiers, they were starving, gave them to eat and said, eat more, eat more, eat more. They couldn't. They, they were starving for so long, they couldn't. So when a person comes back to Yiddishkeit, sometimes when you come back too fast, too hard, you can't do it. It breaks you. Slowly. Minion. Normal things. Don't get crazy. Davening. Make a bracha when you eat. Bench. Put on tzitzes. Tzitzes, it's so easy. You're feeding your soul a whole day. You're plugged in a whole day. You don't got to do nothing. You don't got to fast. You don't got to say anything. You slip them on in the morning. Every second of the day, every heartbeat has a, bra- has a mitzvah of, of, of wearing tzitzes. You have to be an absolute idiot. You have to be such a fool not to wear tzitzes. He told the girls, and I started crying when he said this, and all the girls started crying, and all the teachers started crying. He said, Rav Nachman, Breslov, who he's, he's Breslov, doesn't believe in hell. Yeah, that sounds great, right? You can do anything you want, right? He said, no. He doesn't believe that the fires of hell are like fires. And, and the Zaya says this. The fire of hell is the embarrassment. When you ever get really embarrassed and you feel a certain flush, your blood rushes, that you're embarrassed from somebody. So, so that's what hell is. So he said, he said, that Rav Nachman says the following. It's very scary. He says, so you come up to Din V'cheshben, they invite to your, it's a movie. It's a movie. So who do they invite to your movie? They don't invite everyone in Shemayim to your movie. Abraham Yisrael Yaakov, Sarifka, Rachel and Leah, the Imahish, they're your fathers and your mothers. They have to come to the movie. How can you have a movie without your mother and father coming? So all the Imahish are coming. Moshe Rabbeinu, he brought Torah to the world. Yosef HaTzadik, David HaMelech. These are all people that come to our movie. Then, your grandfathers, your great-grandfathers, your parents shouldn't be, you know, your parents should be up there, you shouldn't be up there before them, that's the way it's supposed to be, right? Your parents, your rabbeim, anyone, anyone who had anything to do that ever touched your soul, they're all up there to watch your movie. So the first movie, pretty, I mean, I can't imagine when they watch my movie, it's not going to be such a pretty sight, right? The first movie, and you can't, the thing is that you can't hide, that's the problem. Here in this world, you can hide. There you can't hide. You know, my little grandson, he thinks when he looks at the wall, nobody sees him. <laughs> you know, we think that if we hide, that Hashem doesn't see us. It doesn't work that way. So the first movie is going to be pretty embarrassing. For all of us, I think. You know, let's do tshuva. Because when you do tshuva, then you cut on the film floor all the bad things you did. You do tshuva, it's not there. It's empty. It's like, we know you did something, but we don't know what you did, right? Because there's something missing in your movie. Like September 15th from 4 o'clock to 9 o'clock. Oh, boy. It's blank. Oh, we know you did something. Well, you don't know what I did. Ha ha, right? Because you did tshuva. If you do tshuva me'ava, they take the bad that you did and they turn it into a mitzvah. You went to a movie, but you did tshuva me'ava, and now you, they show you going to a yeshiva. So nobody even knows that you did anything bad. That's real tshuva me'ava, doing tshuva out of love of Hashem, not because you're scared. Hashem takes what you did and He changes the whole movie. The whole movie. You're going out with a girl and you say, oh my goodness, I did this, right? And when it comes to that day, you're like, I remember that day. I'll never forget that day. Oh, my goodness. That night, oh, my goodness, I don't want to see this. 
And all of a sudden, you're sitting in the base medrash, and oh, Yitzchak, you're learning with a chavrusa, you're like, that's not what happened that night. <laughs> you did tshuva me'ahava. Tshuva me'ahava means that you did tshuva and you said to Hashem, I didn't want to do this. If you didn't want to do this, what did you want to do? I wanted to do the right thing. So then if you did the right thing, machshava kemais in the other world, your thought is like you did it. So whatever you think that you wanted to do, right, in the other world is like you did it. So you wanted to go learn, instead you did that, but now you feel bad that you did that, and you really wanted to do the right thing, that's gone. And they'll show you learning. So he says, the first movie is bad, but it's not Gehenna. The second movie, the second showing is Gehenna. What's the second showing? We'll take, we'll make up a name. Uh, Yerivi Ravalovich. Okay? So this is Yerivi Ravalovich's movie. The second movie, they sit Yerivi Ravalovich in front of the screen and they say, now we would like to show everyone what Yerivi Ravalovich could have done with those 80 years, with what God gave him the ability to do. And then you sit there and you watch all the potential that you missed. Because you were busy with movies and DVDs and girls and drinking and making money and taking care of yourself. And you sit there and you see who you could have been. And that, he says, Rav Nachman says, that's Gehenna. Seeing what you could have been and not having done that, attained that, that person sits forever with that in his face. What I could have done and I didn't do, that's hell. That's Gehenna. The other side, the person that did what he's supposed to, he sits in the next world and all he sees, all they show him is everything he accomplished in this world, sometimes above his means. That's Ganeidin. Beyond what he should have done. Way beyond what he could have done. Because your potential is infinite. So my bracha to everybody is that you should all be able to sit on Zayda, on the Zaydis, on the grandfather's lap, which is our Kodesh Baruch Hu, and get a good hug and a kiss, and to be able to sit in the next world after 120, 160, and just watch the movie of what you did beyond your expectations. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.